Welcome to the Discomfort by Design podcast, where we showcase people who chase discomfort, live life on the fringe, and pursue high adventure. We bring you the stories that inspire you to go find out. Now here's your host, Taylor Quick. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Discomfort by Design. Today, I'm joined with my buddy, Caleb Stillians. Uh, Caleb is many things, but one of the things that uh, I appreciate a lot about him is his hunting. Man, Caleb is a backcountry hunter, uh, specifically in the Northern Territories up around Alaska and places like that. Uh, so I think everybody's going to really enjoy this because uh, that is that type of hunting is absolutely filled with a lot of discomfort. So Caleb, how you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. It's a pleasure to be on here. Absolutely, man. I'm so glad. Uh, I'm so glad you had some time to do this. Now I know you're you're a busy guy, man. You're out in the backcountry a lot, and you know you're an entrepreneur uh, and you got your own business and things like that. So I know uh, I know you got a lot going on. So I appreciate you taking some time out and sitting and talking with me. Hey, no worries. It's good to be here, and I'm I'm excited to see what rabbits we can. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, so I met Caleb actually back in February at uh, Winter Strong that's put on by Sorenex. And uh, Caleb had the distinct misfortune and displeasure of being on my team in the uh, competition in the afternoon. Um, and and if, and if any of you that, that listen to the podcast don't know what I'm talking about, uh, on the second day at Sorenex's Winter Strong, we have a, a team competition that they call it a lift, run, shoot where you, it's a plethora of things you do. You got an archer that does a lot of your shooting on your, on your targets and things like that. You get to shoot at the gun range, there's weightlifting. And, uh, but mostly it's, uh, it's covering a lot of ground running. And, uh, Caleb, uh, Caleb spent a lot of time high knees next to me while I was dragging my fat tail through that, uh, through that course, uh, the weightlifting part I was good with anything that required picking up heavy stuff. I, I can handle that. But the, uh, the covering the distance was about to kill me. And, uh, Caleb just hung back and stayed with me the whole time. So, uh, and that was, uh, that was kind of how he and I got to know each other a little bit and have talked since, and I've been wanting to get him on the podcast and it kind of finally lined up. So, uh, man, what have you been doing since winter strong? Uh, so I shot up to New York for a little bit, was up there for a bit. And then uh, I shot up to Alaska in the beginning of April, and then I have a cabin. So I was doing some work on the cabin, and then after the cabin, I kind of had to go and hunt a brown bear and had a good time hunting out on the Alaska Peninsula. So been doing a little bit of that, launched a bit uh, a software business. Been, uh, I've been chasing a lot of trying to make some things happen. Man, that's awesome. He's got a he's got a lot of pokers in the fire. So, man, before we dive into any of that, I want to hear a little bit about your background and get to know kind of Caleb and where you come from and and kind of how you grew up, man. I know you're a you're you're kind of a young guy. How old are you? Uh, twenty four. Yes, he's twenty four years old. Um, and got all that going on. Um, but he's an extremely impressive dude. So let's let's dive. I want to dive a little bit into your background, man. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Tell us about life up to now. So I was born in Kansas City, um, and then at two years old, uh, my parents, my mom and dad, uh, they felt called to move to Alaska. They had a very religious background, which I think is a good thing. So they went up, and uh, my dad went to a Bible college in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, uh, and we did the babysitting thing, and it was kind of interesting. I grew up up there. None of my family hunts, so I never got to hunt as a kid. Uh, up in Alaska, but I fell in love with the mountains being up there. Age eight, decided to move back down to Missouri, come down here. Um, by then, the mountain bug bit me. Uh, I was just, I didn't, I, I love Missouri now because it's got its own natural beauties, but back then, I was like, where's the mountains? There's barbed wire fences everywhere. This sucks. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, it, long story short, I, I was homeschooled, um, so I did that and then I also had a job uh, I grew up in like kind of a full background um, I went out and age 16 16 or 17 I think it was 16 uh, the high school archery coach got in contact with me um, Called Chiefs Cox is a little little town get together. So I met up with him. He talked me to uh, shoot an archery for them. Anyways, never got to go to a 
fun of it because I was homeschooled and wasn't allowed because of various school policies. So that following year, I decided to stop doing school and go to go to public school for two reasons. I wanted to be a Navy SEAL at that time, and my, uh, you had to have if you had a GED, you had to have so many college credit hours or have a high school diploma. And with uh, my GED, I was not getting into college. I wasn't thinking, so I decided to go go to public school. Went to public school and then started shooting archery. I was uh, very blessed, and uh, I guess God gifted me with the, the ability to aim. And uh, I ended up getting a full-ride scholarship to, to college out in Tennessee. Went out there, shot, ended up meeting a, a, a lady that daughter married an outfitter. They're like, hey, do you want somebody? Hey, we need somebody to come up here and pack. It's more or less like where you're, you're apprentice. You do anything that the outfitter wants you to do that he doesn't want to do. Uh, but, hey, we won't pay you, but come up and uh, come up and work. So I was like, dad, like, I'm like, go up to Alaska and work for free? Heck, yeah, get a chance. But, so uh, luckily, uh, I was decent fast forward that's how I'm a, uh, a guide up in Alaska and part of the reason why I got, got going on there. that's awesome man so where where did you go to school in Tennessee so I went to a, a college called Bethel University Bethel uh, yeah, so for whatever reason I, uh, it just wasn't a fit for me so I needed one uh, school year there and uh, I was blessed and I had some other things going where I had a a full ride at Missouri State here at Missouri as well. So after that one year at Bethel, I transferred to Missouri State to study finance. I got you. Um, man, I, I love Missouri. I've, I've hunted Missouri the last two years. Uh, we deer hunted Missouri, uh, not this past season, the season before, and then we turkey hunted Missouri this year. Um, and it, and, it, and you're right. It is. It's very beautiful up there. It's a it's a whole different feel um, than from Mississippi, where I'm from. You know, there's tons and tons of pine trees and and a lot of thicket down here. Uh, very traditional Eastern whitetail hunting. Um, and we we went up there and hunted uh, Missouri right right below Iowa. We were in uh, right around Maryville, Missouri. Um, is that is that where Missouri State is? No, so no, that's Northwest Missouri State. Okay, yes, yeah. So we hunt. We were hunting right outside of Maryville, up there on Seat Memorial, and um, man, that that's a whole different landscape. It's just corn row crop everywhere, and it's just wide open, um, you know. And then then we hunted in in the Ozarks essentially uh, for turkeys this year. We were we were down close to Fort Leonard Wood. And it's okay. it's such a such a different area, man. It's so different, and but it was it was absolutely beautiful. I loved it. So um, I, I understand what you mean about Missouri having its own charm. I get that completely. Um, so you go off to be essentially uh, slave labor, <laughs> um, but you know obviously it, it doesn't make, maybe not paying on the front end, but but that type of work. Um, sets you up for future success and pays on the back end uh, because through that work, what you learn and, and, and what you acquire from a knowledge standpoint, you can't put a price tag on. You just have, you have to go do that. Um, you can't, you can't pay somebody to teach you that out of a book. You can't do that on a weekend course on the internet. That's one of those things that you've got to learn uh, trial by fire. Uh, so I, <clears throat> I understand the, the reason why you would say, Hey, yeah, absolutely. Let me go work for free because there's something on the back end of that that's valuable, as well as the fact that you said, you know, you fell in love with the mountains, so you wanted to get back out there. So I absolutely understand that. So what were some of the things that you did while you were working out there like that? Yeah, so uh, when I was up there, I was, uh, I got into this got thrown to the woofs, which was uh, good and bad, uh, looking back on it. I, I about died a couple of times. That, that, and uh, so never drove a boat up a uh, an actual river before, like this is an outboard. I think we had a had a ninety horse on it with a jet, so that you know that minus is thirty percent of the power, so it brings you around six five. And I'm running up. Uh, I'm doing bail baits. Uh, it's up by Fairbanks, Alaska, up the Chena River, 
and I'm going up this river, and I'm up on the upper end of it where no one else goes. Finds out there's only two guys that goes up there. It was uh, me and then a guy I later met on the river named Bill Boone. I go yeah, that's just an awesome dude. Uh, so I'm flying up there and uh, going from never doing something in my life before to doing this. I'm trying to cut out log jams, uh, take stuff out. And the, the log jams actually is the thing that about got me. I was having to try to cut cut this log out. And uh, yeah, when I got it to come up, again, I've never done this before. So it was uh, kind of trial by error. Really a two to three man job. And I was 19 trying to do it all myself. So it was, uh, it was interesting. So I'm sitting there uh, cutting it out, and uh, when the log gives out, it bucks up and pinches the shawl, and when it bucks up, it uh, hits the boat, which it sounds hard to, uh, to explain, but it makes me fall out of the boat, and I'm in hip waders. Um, oh, no. So I go, if anybody's familiar with a log jam, it's got a down suck to it, uh, so I don't know why, or I should have probably been dead, honestly. Uh, I remember going under, and it was weird. I don't think it happened. It was very fast, but I remember like almost seeing myself from like up above, which is sounds really weird. But uh, but I was like, wow, this is not how I expected to go out. <laughs> and then at that time, I remember like up, and I can I'm going under, like I'm completely under the water. I remember like just lunging, pushing as hard as I could. And I don't know if it was God that popped me up, or if I my foot hit something, or what happened. But uh shot back up and then this my left hand these two fingers caught the front cleat of that boat and that's what saved me because if i didn't catch that front cleat somehow that boat was just in that spot while i was able to grab that boat um pull one up i got a hold of the boat got my other hand i'm trying to pull myself up we kind of getting the me and the boat's getting pushed around the, the back end of the boat hits something which makes my head i i got a little little scar on my forehead where the boat hit something, which made my head bounce off the boat. <laughs> so eventually, I ended up getting back in, back in the boat, and uh, yeah, it was a good learning experience. Sometimes, uh, uh, there's a job. Never be, uh, never be afraid to tell someone that uh, is telling you to do something. Like, hey, I don't know if this is the best idea because it could get you in trouble. I ended up finishing that whole year doing that all pretty much on my own so it walked out but uh you gotta it's very good to like know your limitations and know what's smart and what's not smart back then i didn't know them per se uh so it's good just not don't get anybody listening to this don't get yourself in the in the trouble you can't come back from push yourself always always push yourself to be better but uh <laughs> No, no, uh, don't get too far on the other side of that line where you can't come back from. Yeah, man, that's that's absolutely terrifying because you know I, we we have a lot of duck hunters down here in Mississippi, and so you know chest waders are are very prevalent here. Um, and, and you know one of the biggest danger points with duck hunting that we have is that if you fall out in, in water, uh, especially that's moving. Um, with those chest waders on and they fill up, you're gone <laughs> because there, there's no coming. You're not going to get out of that. Um, it's, it's very, it's very unlikely that if you got those chest waders on and they fill up with water, you're just going to go down. You, you, but you've lost your buoyancy. You're going to sink. And especially if you're in a current, you know, it's going to sweep you out and there's not going to be anybody that can grab you, man. So that, that's an un, that's an unbelievable story. And the fact that you bounced up like that and happened to grab a cleat on a boat. Um, for anybody who doesn't know what a cleat is, you've seen when people tie a boat on, it's that little silver thing that's got the, the horns on either end that they wrap the, the, the rope around on a boat. That's what he's talking about when he says a cleat. That's like a six inch piece of metal. I mean, oh, yeah. literally like the size of your hand and, and you happen to come up and grab exactly that one particular spot. That is absolutely unreal. Um, man, and that's I, crazy. I tell that story and some people are like, yeah, you full of crap. And I'm like, well, I can, I can show you all the video where I was running the river. Obviously I didn't have a video of that happening, but, uh, <laughs> I give up the, so they were hip waders, they weren't chest waders, so they, they filled up, um, which should have still been enough to drag me down to the bottom. But uh, I think uh, I think 
God, like, hey, you know, your time's not, your ticket's not yet to be punched. Uh, our ticket's going to get punched one of these. I mean, we all got to, none of us make it off this planet alive. Uh, but I think God allowed me that that, that wasn't my ticket. So what did that do for you, right? So you, you have that experience, and I'm sure that was kind of early on. Um, you have that experience, and then how does that change you and the way you approach what you were doing every day? Um, obviously, what I saw from you in February, man, you're very physically fit and you're strong and athletic. Um, did did that experience kind of kind of wake you up a little bit and go like, okay, I could die out here and I've really got to do a better job at being prepared. Or was that kind of one of those things that was like, you grew up in Alaska for a little while anyway. So you were kind of like, eh, it's Tuesday. No. So that's what a lot of people from Alaska without trying to talk crap on anybody. It was not the stuff that the outfitting community does. is the next level. Um, just cause you grow up or live in a state. That means what's going on. Uh, changing. Not really. I got back up, got my wet clothes. I always had stuff. My bag was going to go, and I kind of got kept doing what I did. I didn't stop for that. Um, I had to t- get that chainsaw because when it snapped, the, the chainsaw kind of ducked in the water a little bit. So I had to like pull the spark plug out, um, try to get it to go again. So I kind of just messed with it a bunch and got it running eventually. You know that trick where you pull a spark plug out, you dip the, the spark in, in gas and put a little gas in there, and kind of that's what I had to do to it, try to dry it out and kind of get it going. So I just kind of kept running with it. Um, you know, that's just like a experience thing. I shouldn't have been out there by myself when it comes down to the end of the day. I was not experienced in that area. So, like, I was prepared, but my, my let's say, memory bank or bank of knowledge was not up to be in that spot by myself. Um, but it is now. So it worked out. Sometimes uh, that's what, as us as leaders going forward, the people that come under our wing, we just got to make sure that we don't put them in the, the situation where they lose. Uh, so we got to shelter them. Our work comes from how it changed my perspective. Uh, I've had a lot of different close calls. It just kind of happened with what I do. Uh, but that was the, the first one that happened, and it kind of makes you uh, start to view life a little bit differently. Because then you realize, I know, at least I did when I was young, I had a Superman syndrome. Um, I've always been pretty physically um, in shape and can do a lot of things. Uh, that, something like that happens, you start to realize that it doesn't take a lot, no matter how strong or fit you are. Or something to punch your ticket. Uh, so there's a thing, and I forget who said it, but you should start with the end in mind. So it kind of started making me think a little bit more deeper about uh, that one day I am going to die. That's the fact. One day going to happen. So what am I going to do to make the most with my time on this planet to impact as many people? Um, maybe it's maybe I should just make sure I take the time to say hi to the lady at the grocery store or whatever it is. Because um, we only get one of these lives on this planet, and you know, I don't want to, I don't want to mess that up. I want to try to do the best, the best and the most I can with that life on this planet. Yeah, you know, my my wife and I were watching a, a video, a movie this past weekend, um, <clears throat> and there was a line in the movie. This guy was saying something to the effect of, you know, aren't you? Aren't, like he asked this this other person, maybe he's like, aren't you? Aren't you worried you're gonna die? And the response was was really, really impressive to me. And it was something that made me kind of pause and think because the person responded and they said, everybody's going to die. Mm-hmm. Every single person dies, but not everyone gets to make a difference. Um, and, and, and I think that's a heck of a perspective because, you know, like once you realize that, that we are not everlasting here, you know, we don't we don't have unlimited amount of time. That It's a very finite experience, this life. And, and when you compare it to, you know, the expanse of time, it's also very quick. Um, you know, with the, let's say, average lifespan of an American male is, what, 80 years old, maybe? I mean, 80 years in the course of human history is a blip on the radar. And so, you know, you only have a blip, and you want to make sure your blip leaves a big enough ripple that it impacts outside of that. Um, you know, we, we hear people talk about leaving a legacy and all that all of the time, 
How do we do that? And I think you you I think you're onto something there with that intentionality of seeing past the surface and and not making moments shallow, because the power of moments is is all that we have. You know, that's the only thing you're guaranteed is is the moment that you're in. And so when you see that lady in the grocery store or whatever it might be, that smile, that acknowledgement, that kindness may be that impact. Something that's so small to us may be huge for someone else. I think that's a man, I think that's a great, great point. Um so you work for free and then what has that led to for you? So what is, what is, what are you doing now? You know, cause that was, you say you're 24, you're 19 at the time. So that's five years ago in that five years since, where have you gone with it? Absolutely. So uh, my goal was all, I'll kind of, I split my life up in like little categories, I guess. So with the hundred, I, I left that particular outfit once I got my uh, guide's license and a different one. And then truly enjoyed walking for that guy. And then I went to a different one. And the reason why I did that is because I wanted to hunt the entire state of Alaska. And as an outfitter, you're only allowed to have uh, like three units. So it's three different game use areas. And there's 20 state. So if I stay walking for one guy, I'm only going to get to hunt this, which is still a huge part of Alaska, but this small, small relative to the size of the state area of land if i can go here and here and here now five years later i've hunted a huge of alaska uh the only place i haven't really been up is towards like Nome area other than that been up to the brooks range up above the arc circle been down over in unit six all across that been on kodiak alaska peninsula up in 17 16 all that kind of covered that so on that side of things really good phenomenal people took them out hunting walked for some phenomenal outfitters and so that that piece is awesome and then about two years ago i decided hey i wanted to try to start sharing some of these experiences i'm having so i started a show called rise up um have a cameraman or camera guys that walk for me now and uh go out and try to capture what we can and share it with uh with whoever wants to watch it of hunting Alaska. So uh, that side of it's kind of where that's been. Um, I met some really cool business guys that have helped me and kind of nurtured me along in uh, real estate and uh, software. So uh, now I have a software company and I do a little bit of real estate uh, investing on the side. So that's where I'm at. Um, 10,000 foot view going over at 700 miles. Man, that's awesome. Um, so where can people see rise up so that i didn't i knew you had that arm but i didn't realize you were publishing with that yet so where where can people view that where is that available yeah so the the show is mainly on youtube um just because i don't like contracts i don't like uh i want to put it on a network oh you have to produce this many shows it's like how about no i'm gonna do what <laughs> uh, i like that so is it just rise up on youtube Type in Rise Up with Caleb. Pull up. Um, same way as Google. Uh, Rise Up with Caleb with a C. And if it's not pulling up with that, add my last name in with it. S T I L L I A N S. Done YouTube. Got a website up for it. And uh, we've done a decent amount of content. Uh, we did the fourth season, the fourth year in 2020, in the fall, and then last year, and then. Uh, we're just starting uh, this next year. That's awesome. So that makes you the second person I've had on with a uh, with a hunting show. So I had John Mulligan on a few few shows ago. John Johnny's a cool guy, you know, and he's got Primal Divide. And so that's you know they go really broad spectrum. He hunts all over the place, and, and um, he he's got does a really cool job, man. Um, and so I'm gonna definitely have to check out uh, Rise Up because I do like so hunting Alaska is is something that i've always wanted to do just simply because i mean because it's the it's alaska right it's it's that that final frontier so to speak in a, in in, a, in the united states of america you know and and i've, I've done a little of the of the plains hunting up there in the northern part of missouri not not too much but that's 
that's as far away from home as I've ever gotten to hunt. Um, and, and so like the, the whole thought of hunting Alaska, man, that intrigues the heck out of me. Um, especially, especially bears, um, obviously caribou and elk and, um, you know, moose or God knows whatever else behemoth animals that y'all have out there in Narnia, apparently where y'all live. <laughs> but, um, the bears is, is what really intrigues me. You know, we, we have bears here in Mississippi. We just have the traditional black bear, but they are like, if you, if you kill a black bear in Mississippi, you, you are going to jail and you're never going to have a hunting license ever again. <laughs> so it's, it's completely illegal. Um, like you, if you see one dead on the road, you, you cannot touch it. Like you better call the game warden and, and get them to come figure it out. Cause if you just pick it up to dispose of it, you're going to jail. Like, I mean, it, it, they're super protected here. Um, so you just came back from a bear hunt that was pretty successful and I would love to hear all about it. So man, walk us, walk us through this hunt for this brown bear. Um, and, and, uh, man, let's get into that. Yeah. So, uh, been out, been on quite a few bear hunts and then, uh, so had this one coming up, uh, went out on the Alaska peninsula you're out there and uh it's stormy it's nasty but one thing about this season that started it off that was weird is that it was about sunny and it, it's it's light 18 hours to 20 hours a day right now so sunshine for about a week straight where it was hot for alaska i'm talking about like 70s which is nuts this oh that sounds lovely non-stop sunshine like my face got so on on it but it was windy the entire time. It's not like it's just windy and sunny. Uh, and bears don't like that. Bears don't like the wind and they don't like the hot sunshine. Um, they just don't. Uh, so not a ton of movement. Seen a lot of bears bedded up way up high. Sows and cubs. Seen some big bulls way up in the snow. And we're hunting by this glacial. So they're hanging out where it's cold. And uh the reasonably get up to where they were at on the glacial would be uh it's not reasonable it'd be like a uh, you're looking at a 20 mile hike in 12 of those at least 12 of those miles are like dredging through snow you don't know what kind of avalanches are happening this time of year so i would call it i could say no man's land in no man's land we go up there after that there's a good chance no man no we're not here to die. We're here to kill a big bear, not die. So we couldn't go up and get him. Uh, so later on, the weather finally starts to shift. Um, it's going to get nasty. Bears like overcast, nasty days. Uh, but before that happens, we have like this cyclone weather from Sam Hill. Like it's this, uh, I've, I've never seen so many cyclones in my life sitting up on the glass and I'll be just trying to make the most of a, of a crappy day. And it's, it's finally raining, which is good. So it, it sounds kind of productive, but like I said, calm overcast mornings and evenings is the best bear hunting weather ever. Uh, so yeah, you got to push up through the trap to get those. So it's, it's overcast. It's raining. It actually ends up breaking one of our tents. Like some of the guests had to be hit right around 80 miles an hour. We got footage of some of, of, uh, of these cyclones coming through, some of them like 40 miles out, because you're in the mountain bowl and there's a gust of wind all this spinning. So you're watching it pick up this water and like just come around. It looks like a tornado right underneath you. You're like, holy cow. Uh, so we have that for two days. Finally, it switches to a calm, overcast weather, and then uh, we get, we're fortunate and got a 10 foot two barrel. Uh, Walked out well. We just had the. That's it's kind of funny. That I so hunting, so my, like my hunting show. It's a hunting show, but it's more about how like hunting teaches me about life because there's a reflection about it. Uh, there's a lot of times when so like my, for example, I just started a new software company, and right now it's tough because you just your new company. Uh, you work on all the fillers out. You're trying to push the snowball. The it's just it's. It's about to take off, but you got to go through it. And hunting, you got to go and you got to be willing to weather the 
the windy days that are sunny and you get sunburned, but maybe the that's been your time behind your glass. Guess what? Now it switches the apple. It's trying to blow you away and it's wet and everything you have is wet and it's just windy. And, uh, but if you don't, if you can't weather those storms, those storms that come through in life, you won't ever be able to appreciate the sweet things that come along. And if you give up when those storms are happening, guess what? It's game over. You, you, you won't ever have the opportunity to win. So that's the way I equate like my experience. It's like, no matter how psychic it is now, if we can figure out a way to get through it, there could be a world on the end of it. And sometimes there's not, but most of the times you just stick it out, it's going to happen. And you, when it doesn't happen, you can't put your head down. You just got to try it again. No, I, I like that because, you know, <clears throat> that that's what hunting is. The reason they call it hunting and not killing, right? Because there there is a there is a risk of failure. There there is an element of possible failure that happens. And you know, we we go out as hunters all of the time and come back empty-handed um, as far as game meat. We don't always harvest an animal, but there's something to to learn and to experience uh, that that is going to make you a better person. It's going to make you a better hunter every single time you go out there. You just have to look for those lessons. I so I like that. So I'm going to ask you again. You said that bear was how big? Uh, so it was ten foot two. Uh, it was size it didn't quite make book it was really close it was 27 i think it was like 14 something like that uh so a book brown bear was 28 inches skull uh and it was just my god so 10 foot two standing on its hind legs right so it's about a thousand to 1100 pound bear <laughs> oh my lord so how like that's one of those you know they they talk about that a grizzly can't and that, that's what it is correct it's a no not, not quite so uh that that's where it's like they're the same subspecies but the different animals okay uh, so, okay uh, uh there's an imaginary line that's 50 miles in uh, that will it goes from a brown bear to a grizzly bear. That's just imaginary line. But what separates them is over the last however many thousand years or millions, of years, whatever you like, really, however long you believe the the old thing, how long the bears been around, is that the bears closer to the ocean have milder winters. The winters come later and leave leave sooner. They have access to whatever the ocean washes up. Uh, the the temperatures are milder in the winter time. They don't get quite to the crazy like below Fahrenheit. Uh, on the other side of the of the Alaska range, it kind of runs like this, and you have the Takitnas and so on and so forth. Uh, it gets into like where you get longer winters. They total 50 below. When I was growing up, I lived on the northern side of those mountains, and uh, they wouldn't camp to school if it was. It was 49 below all school was on it had to be 50 below or colder so those bears uh came and come in a little bit later and they as well uh so they have less food so it's uh, they smaller bears essentially so a big grizzly bear is eight foot a big brown bear is nine to ten foot and that each one of those feet, the bear gets exponentially bigger. So like my friend, uh, Troy, he's a nutter guide up in Alaska. He just killed a, I think it ended up being an 11 foot four brown bear. It's going to, right now it's sitting at the second biggest bear ever killed. Um, it's been the biggest bear killed in the last, I think, 70 years. The, the biggest one was killed in the fifties. Uh, so like if they get on that coast, they really have the opportunity to get mutant size. Uh, so, congratulations wow. on that bear. He's like, I don't know, probably 10 miles from me. I'm like, dang it, 10 miles for those bears. over it in no time. So, like, if only that bear would have came in front of me. <laughs> but that's, that's awesome for him because there's a, a toad. So, Man, so, like, that is, that's, that's un, that, that's hard for me to fathom. So like that's a, that's a bear that can if if something happened, and that bear got in a, got in close on you, mm -hmm. like that's one of those one swipe of the paws can decapitate a man type. Bear. Oh, yeah, I mean uh, an eight foot grizzly bear, I mean even a seven foot 
they're all uh, we don't no matter how strong we are which you might have a better chance than me um but this it's a different ball game uh that's why you just got to be prepared with your firearms because uh, <laughs> if one gets on top of you, it's not going to take them long to, to, to kind of do you in. So, or at least do you to a point that maybe you wish you were done in. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've, you know, we've all seen some of those stories about people getting uh, getting eat up by bears and things like that um, that, that have lived, and they, they look like they've just been through an absolute shredder. Um, so dang man, sorry. Right. So we're how far in like away from camp were you when you killed that bear? Um, this one wasn't too far. It was only like a mile from camp, which is nothing for up there. Sometimes you go kill an animal ten miles from camp, depending on. Uh, so that that one it was relatively close, just a mile from camp. Yeah. Okay. So a mile in, were you like up on a mountain? Was it kind of like compared to camp? I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a picture of your, like your pack out. Um, because so that's, that's the thing. Like when, when you go on these backcountry hunts, whether you're out West doing backcountry mule deer, elk, um, you know, if you're out in Montana doing, you know, mule deer, pronghorn, whatever it might be up in Alaska doing caribou and bears and all this stuff. When you, when you do these hunts, you have a base camp where you where where your kind of your mode of operations is all right there, and then you go out to go find these animals. And so when you kill them, you have to field dress them, and then pack everything back in. So how I'm trying to get a picture of your pack in because um, you go you got a you're talking about a thousand pound bear. Um, how how much uh, how much did you have to pack back in roughly? Brown bear, you don't have to take any of the meat, so we didn't pull any of the meat out of there. Uh, the reason why some people disagree with this, uh, but I mean it's their own personal opinion if they want to eat it or not. But uh, brown bear meat's not really that great. Uh, it's got worms in it. Uh, those bears in particular are um, cannibalistic, and I really don't particularly want to eat uh, <laughs> a cannibalistic species like that. That bear we killed definitely has it golden eight cubs that spring 100 percent he is all his face was all scarred up he had pussy it's cool so he was getting in fights with with something i'm guessing it was a, a sow um to get after whole cubs like that's just how those bears are uh so all you have to do is take out the skull and the hide on a brown bear and a grizzly uh so that pack out was roughly my pack was probably about 200 pounds um, roughly in there, 180, uh, and it was just a mile back to camp. So that was a relatively easy pack out compared to yeah. So. Some of the other ones you've been on. So what is what is the the toughest pack out you've ever been on? Uh, a goat. Um, usually has the toughest. Honestly, probably uh, my toughest one's been a, a goat hunt. Uh, is this miserable mountain. Um, straight up pretty much like that through Devil's Club and then you had to go through a swamp, cross the river and then finally you could get to where a super cup could land. So uh, uh, on like Alaska hunts you will have like what you call a base camp and from base camp typically you'll get flown out via aviation uh, to what you would label your spike camp and spike camps where you hunt out of. Um, so you gotta you can't just get an animal and you gotta find a place where uh, a plane can land and that's where you get that to. Uh, and I, I forget how far that was. I think it was more the conditions. It was probably, I don't know, four or five miles, maybe a little bit longer than that, to be honest, uh, up to the top of the mountain. Kill a goat. Um, get the goat in your pack. And a, a, a goat's a heavy pack out, like super heavy pack out if you don't want to do two trips. Um, so, and then you have the camp. You have to up with you because it's not up and down a lot. Uh, so you got your goat, your camp, you wet, you soaked. Uh, that was that was super tough. And then moose, moose is the hardest. And like when it comes to like moving mass around, like you got a lot of a lot of loads to pull out of there. Usually it's about eight loads, uh, and that's a lot of meat. So that's that one's the most weight coming out of the mountains, obviously. Uh, but those goats, 
uh, those goats are tough, and then sheep are tough depending on how and where you kill them. Yeah, man, that's that's crazy. So, um, anyone listening is not familiar when he says a super cub, that is a small bush plane. <laughs> um, how big would you say the inside of it, like you know where you can sit and all that? Because you're basically sitting. It's not really a cockpit in a super cub, much is it? I mean, it's pretty much just all kind of right there and all pushed in together with the engine and everything, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so you have the uh, you have the engine, and then you have where the pilot sits, and then you sit directly behind the pilot. And then I forget what the the pound load, but typically you won't. You try to go about seventy five pounds of gear past that, depending on how big. Pilot is how big the guy that's flying behind him, because um, you got to factor in that weight. So not a lot of room. You're talking about small. That, that that puts in perspective. Most of the plane's fabric. Um, like you can go around and tap on the side of the plane, and it's fabric, stretch fabric. That's around the side of it. Only the wings, um, the wings and the the engine. They are uh, actually the wings are not totally. All. You have your flaps. You have your ailerons, and those all. Uh, I think they aluminum, and then you have your engine and your engine shield, and then that's still, and then uh, your tubing that makes up the the shell of the, the plane is aluminum. Um, so that's yeah, that's the plane. <laughs> so he's essentially flying in a paper mache airplane. Um, <laughs> my goodness. So like that that I, I'm not gonna have to worry about that because I'm 300 pounds at least, and so they're just gonna be like, hey, you know, fat boy, you just gonna have to hike it because you're not uh, we're not getting this thing off the floor. Um, uh, there's gotten big guys in the planes. Before. <laughs> well, I want to transition to at this point. It, it's what do you? Like, how do you prepare for all this, Cable? Because this is like you're you're going up into a very very dangerous area where you're taking your life into your hands. And, um, you know, you, you have to be on your A game and you, because not only, not only for yourself, but also for the people you're guiding, you know, obviously there's, there's an, an, an expectation that they have done their job to, you know, get, get where they're supposed to be physically, mentally to go up on the mountain and do their job. And job number one, obviously is stay alive. So what do you, what do you do to prepare to not only keep yourself alive, but to make sure the people that are trusting you to guide them on these hunts, that you're keeping them alive as well. Yeah, so I I, uh, I run a lot, which helps. I do a little bit of weightlifting, and then uh, I think one thing that helps, like, so you got to do firearms training. A lot of firearms training, you need to be able to shoot, you need to know your weapon very well. Uh, a lot of dry fire practice, a lot of like weapons training that I personally do. To do this job so that way if a bear does to try it like decide to try to eat i know how to use my weapon uh i do jujitsu and kickboxing quite a bit and uh mix that in with uh, mma where you actually do full contact sparring uh i think that helps out a lot because you're used to thinking in high high stress situations so when you get into a like a bear trying to eat you which in my opinion, is a little bit more high stress than anything you can do in martial arts uh, legally. I mean, I guess you get into like those cage fights that are underground and stuff like that, and places where they could, where you could end up for sure dying type of a deal. But uh, I think it, when when you have a black belt and you're fighting against him and he's he's better than you all, he's gonna get you some freaking uncomfortable situations and some of them you're going to have to tap out and some of them you won't have to tap out uh and it's about being able to stay calm and think in those situations on how can i can i actually get out of this position to keep rolling because we do seven minute rounds keep going before i actually get put to sleep or you know a joint lock or whatever else so that allows your mind like hey high stress situations there's a lot of pain involved same with like striking and stuff. You got to be on your A game, see what's going on. And then that way, when you do go out in the field, your minds, you know, we as humans adapt very well. So the more we can get ourselves in those scenarios where it's higher stress, when that thing actually does happen, when it's up to you to perform the, so nothing bad happens, your mind's kind of dealt with that quite a bit. So when I get back to normal life, it's always funny. 
someone will be flipping out because something's going wrong or something like that. And I'd be like, is anybody going to die? Because <laughs> if anybody's going to die, why? I, who cares? Like, let's, let's figure out how to fix it. <laughs> so if it. Why are we treating a non-life or death situation like it's life or death, right? I mean, people... People get stressed out, and, and and I think I think that's a great point, man. People that are not people that are not used to being in life or death situations will treat something that is mundane like it is a life or death situation, quick, fast, and in a hurry, and then expect you to do the same thing. And they get upset and they're like, "Why are you not freaked out by this? Or why are you not, you know, more get get excited? You know, like, come on, we got to do something." And then it's just kind of sitting there like. It's going to be okay. We're, we're going to figure this out. You know, nothing's trying to eat you right now. So calm down. Um, now I completely get that. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen that some, you know, with people that you're working with on the business side of things. So um, I know you've got this, this new venture you've launched with this technology company called Tappity. Um, so man, what, what is Tappity? What, what, where did it come from? What's the, what's the mission? What's the goal? What, where, where is this thing going? What is it? So it's a, it's a information sharing. I actually got right here in front of me. So one of the features we have is a, a Tappity Black card, and it allows me to build out a, a profile. So like one of my profiles is for Rise Up. So if we meet on the, I can have contact information go straight from there. You can save all my contact information, my number, my email my links to my website, all that, it's going to pull my profile picture page straight into your contacts. So now you have all my information directly inside your phone. And additionally, I can direct you to all my social links. I can direct you to join my newsletter. That way I can retain your information and I can reach out to you if you, hey, you want to go on this trip or do this trip, or I can direct you straight to my, my hunting show. Um, so that allows you to get the information that you need in front of your customer so they can and follow up with you. Uh, so it's pretty it's pretty neat. And you can take that link and you can put it on your social so people can click that one link and see all the things you got going on. So we kinda we have the physical and then we have the uh, I guess you would say electronical. <laughs> That's available. But uh, you got those two where it kinda kinda helps you share your I wasn't I wasn't expecting to do my elevator pitch, so uh, I should have no man, that that's that's good. Um, so I know you've got so essentially essentially it's like a like a um like a virtual business card um that gives you an opportunity to curate exactly because you know I mean and I've had to print business cards before when I was a grad assistant um, as a strength coach my our our, our head strength coach was like hey man look we're going to conference and there's going to be tons of strength coaches there and you're going to need a job once you're done being a GA. Um, so you need to, you need to make business cards that have your name on them, your contact information, you know, blah, blah, blah. So you can, when you talk to people and make a connection, you can have something tangible to hand them that they can say, Hey, that guy gave me a card. I'm going to call him about this job, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I think that's awesome. But, but dude, nobody keeps those things anymore. Like, I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to find somebody that's still running like actual, you know, business cards. The only places I really see them are like if I go in the the co-op over here down down in town and there's a couple of business cards on the counter at checkout for like lawn care services and stuff like that. But, you know, everything everything's going virtual now. So I, I think, I, man, I think that's a, a need within the market. Um, so I, I love the way that you're doing that though. So you've got the actual, you know, physical piece that you can hand, hand out. Next. So they, do they like, is it like an RF chip in there that they scan with their phone? Yeah, so it's an NFC. So I uh, anything okay. And on you, I can tap it to the top of your phone, and it's going to automatically pull up that tab where you can see all my information. If you have a phone that's a little bit older than iPhone 10, it has a QR code where you can scan it and pulls up the same social profile. Or you can share it directly off the app. Like I can go to the app and I can say share. This case you lost your business card, and we have bubbles up like bubble buttons that push on like I that's what I use because I'm bad about losing things. So I put it uh straight on the back of my phone so it's attached to my phone so I can just tap that on someone's phone off my phone and I can have my information. And then you can do the same thing with the app. You can pull up share share my uh this business card because I have several different business cards for what I got going on. I can go to my Rise Up business card, hit share and it has a QR code that I can share straight off the app so someone can get all my information just from that one little scan. And then we got the app 
that's behind it is similar to like a, an Instagram, let's say. It's got an activity feed. You can create groups. You can get all your friends and everything on there. Um, so that way we, can, we wanted to do two things. We wanted to make it easier for businesses and individuals to share their information so they can communicate more effectively with their customers. And then we wanted to give them a home where they didn't have to worry about censorship and stuff like that, where they could utilize that. So obviously, like, porn and hate speech is a no-fly. No um, but anything else, if you want to – I'm going to do something kind of like a – I guess you could say flamboyant. I don't know if that's the correct word, but I'm going to – if someone wanted to get on there and say Joe Biden's the greatest president in history, well, I disagree, but that's your prerogative to think what you want. I'm not going to delete delete what you believe just because I disagree with you. Now, I am going to tell you I disagree with you and make a pretty, pretty solid argument on why uh, you probably need to reconsider your your stance, but uh, <laughs> but everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Yeah, so, and, and I've seen something recently with, with Taffy that you put out is the, the dog collars. Dude, that is genius, right? So when I saw that, I was like, okay, he's on to something here because you know, everybody, everybody wants to get their dogs chipped nowadays. Mm -hmm. and, and that's literally putting a microchip inside the animal. Uh, and I've done that with, with the dogs that I've, that I had before. I don't like it very much just because I, I'm, I, I like things kind of natural to be kind of in their natural state. But so essentially what that is, is, is essentially like a, um, like a, a tag that they wear on their collar, right? That does the exact same thing. Yeah, except it does it a little bit more because now uh, I'm not familiar with exactly what the chips do inside the dogs. But one cool feature that we have is that you can upload all the the records for that dog, the shot records. Um, say it's a, a registered dog, you can have all that paperwork on them inside that collar. So if you take your dog to the vet, the vet pull out their iPhone 12, scan that tag, and see all the shot records that has, that dog's had done. And know how it needs to treat that animal going forward. So, let's see. That's awesome. Yep. And so, but 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 like at the same time though, like if I found a dog on the side of the road mm -hmm. that had that tag, I could scan it, find out exactly who that dog belonged to, call him up, and say, "Hey, I've got your animal. Let's let's get him back to you." Correct. Exactly. With one tap, you can call, email, or message him with one tap. So that's where that's where yours is different because like the. The, the microchip that the dog they put in dogs now has to be a placed by a vet and then also vets are the only ones that have the reader so like i can't find a dog and then just return it to the owner like i have to find a dog find a vet take the dog to the vet and then they have to do that so it's this whole like process whereas i with what you've got going on if they've got the tappity tag on you just find it oh hey this is caleb's dog dial your number hey man look i've got your dog where can I meet you to get it back to you? It really eliminates that whole process of having to go to the vet and the vet being the only one that can read the microchip. And then also say, you know, something happens and this, this does happen as much as we wish it didn't situations come up where you may have to rehome an animal where it's, it, it's not feasible for you to have that animal any longer for whatever reason that may be. And we find a new owner in order for that new owner to have the information attached to them now, they have to go to the vet, get the chip changed and all this other stuff, or they have to figure out how to, you know, go log in through whatever and do all this other stuff. And I think, I think what you've done is you've made the process a lot simpler. And I think that that's going to be a, dude, I think that's going to blow up because people love their animals and they spend a fortune on their animals um man so kudos to you for seeing that need and, and jumping on that yeah i appreciate it and i hope it blows up but we got it. We got a good product and we just got a ton of people that realize no man I, I think it's i think it's cool and then uh hopefully see you on like shark tank or something soon that'd be awesome yeah, that kind of Oh man, that'd be that'd be really neat. Uh, my my wife and I are big Shark Tank people. We watch it all the time. I I, I am not the entrepreneurial type, but like I, I I really love that the way that entrepreneurs think and and how they process things and the way they see things is always very intriguing to me. So, um, well, man, what do you what do you have coming up in the next little while? 
I mean, you've launched a business, you've got Tappity running, you, you're doing outfitting and guiding. Um, man, what, what are you, uh, what are we going to see you doing in the next while? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. quick thing on the, on the shock tank thing. That is kind of humorous. Uh, this would be me on shock tank. I would walk up there, pitch my deal. And then if someone said yes, I'd be like, Oh, by the way, I didn't really want to pitch this deal. I just wanted to be, uh, advertising. Thank you guys. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> <laughs> oh no don't tell them that they hate that they they chew people up and down like, you just wanted a commercial yep. <laughs> oh man uh so uh on what, what i got going on in the near future is uh i'm gonna be walking with some phenomenal outfitters uh got a couple of sheep hunts uh in august and then i have my own uh brown bear hunt in the fall and then other than that, it's just about pushing, pushing Tappity, kind of get it going and uh, see where it goes from there. I'm trying to, uh, with what I do, uh, I, I'm working on, th this business is where I can scale it. So it, it has yeah. to, uh, to make some good money. And uh, I want to, A, I want to, I wouldn't mind being wealthy. And then there's a lot of humanitarian goals I have. Uh, I, I would like to figure out how to kind of help stop sex trafficking in some way. So, uh, oh, awesome. yeah, it'd be kind of cool to make, make that a little so. Awesome, man. I think that's a, dude, that's a, that's a worthy goal. Um, any, anything with the trafficking, you know, anti-trafficking, I think is an absolutely worthy goal and, and, and something that desperately needs attention. Um, so, how can people support you? So like if I wanted to say, hey man, I wanna I wanna book a hunt with Caleb, how do I do that? Yep. So so you can't book a hunt uh like with me. So I'm a guide, I'm not an outfitter. Uh but you can reach out to me, uh type my name in, whatever else, uh, and I can get you in contact with outfitters, with the best outfitters in Alaska in my opinion. And then from there they can decide uh if you request me to have you as your guide they can do that or they can get you hooked up with another really good guide so that's how you could do that on, on money side of things uh on supporting me if you guys want tappity is a great product and if you want to utilize that uh that would be that would be phenomenal yeah awesome i know you and i are going to talk a little bit about it uh after we wrap up the show here um so where where people where can people follow you? Obviously, you've mentioned you know rise up on YouTube, but like where are your what are your socials and what's the best way to contact you if uh, anybody's got anything to follow up about this? If they want to talk about Tappity or uh, interested in hunting or anything like that? How do they get in touch? with Absolutely. You? So you can just go to Instagram and you can type my name in Caleb uh, with a C and Stillians is spelled S T I L L I A N S, and uh, you just go there and. Uh, you click on my profile and I actually got a tapity link right down my profile and I, you hit that and it's going to pop up my, my name, my number, my email, all my other social links. You can go watch the show. You can go to the website. Uh, you can pretty much go, go anywhere off that one, that one link to get a hold of me. That's probably the easiest way to tell someone. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. So, uh, Caleb Stillions on Instagram and then obviously check out, rise up his uh his, his content on youtube with a lot of his hunts um did you got did you get to video that recent brown bear hunt um yeah somewhat so we, we, that storm kind of affected some of our camera gear so we got most of it uh but we missed a little bit of it so we'll see uh we'll see what we can do in the editing room yeah man hopefully we can get some of that footage i think that'd be awesome uh man that that still just blows my mind as a 10 foot bear something tall as a flipping basketball goal um, my goodness. But anyway, man, look, I appreciate you coming on, dude. This has been fun. Um, I definitely am going to want to, going to have you on again, you know, after, after some of these other hunts you've been on and, and, you know, obviously as you grow in Tappity and, 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 you know, seeing how that goes there, there is, um, there's not much that's more uncomfortable and, and intentional discomfort in life than opening and starting your own business and, and, you know, scaling it and watch and trying to get it to grow and, and uh, especially when you, when you put all your chips in there, man, and you're all in on something, that that's a scary feeling. So uh, I think you absolutely encompass the discomfort by design mentality and lifestyle. So I and I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing with us today. And uh, dude, I'm 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 excited to see where life takes you. And uh, I truly appreciate you having me on. And 
to all the listeners listening, thank you for uh, for staying with us. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, um, man, until next time, brother, go go continue being awesome and uh, keep kicking it, kicking tail, bud. And you too, Saul. You've been listening to the Discomfort by Design podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a review. And we'll see you next time.